0: You're listening to Your Recovered Life series, True Stories from the Future, with your host, Courtney Webster. Hi, I'm Courtney Webster, and this is Your Recovered Life, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by my friend, Tanya Meeks. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Tanya Meeks is an LMFT with a private practice in Beverly Hills and Newport Beach with an emphasis in addiction and creativity. Tanya possesses immense passion for performance and has written and performed two critically acclaimed one-woman shows. Combining her clinical training and background in performance, she has created workshops and retreats called Telling the Truth On Stage, healing trauma and addiction through performance. She designed these to assist others in assessing their creativity. Her production company, Exposure, supports others in developing solo work and performance material that speaks directly from the heart exposing the truth of their lives on stage, which is very amazing bio to read. But I also want to tell you, Tanya is amazing. And I, just, I, she's going to tell you her story, but I just want to tell you, I have seen her shows and they've taken my breath away. Tanya, I guess I can talk to you now. I'm like talking to Kim. <laughs> right. Go oh, there. You are. Hi. Hi. Uh, so, you know, I, I met you through, you know, professional networking, you know, like we saw each other at events. You're a therapist. I'm a coach and we would see each other and we got friendly. And then I saw you were doing the show and I was like, yeah, I'd love to come see it. <laughs> and I, I remember sitting there and, and seeing a lot of people, colleagues, right? Professionals that you work with coming in the audience. And they're, I was just like, wow, this is really cool. This, I just was struck by mm. your fearlessness and so, and 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 then i didn't really know i mean i knew what the show was about you know your relationship with your mom and you and i didn't really know what to expect for sure but then i saw it and i saw just you telling the truth like as as your bio says like you telling your truth in such a profound way i mean i was not alone in the audience when i was like <laughs> like because <laughs> it tu- because, because it touched my truth you know it was like it was it was so It was so inspiring to see somebody just like sharing. I think that's what really touches us is that connection is, is seeing somebody sharing and then being able to connect with them. And there's a bravery and a generosity in what you do. And I know you're an incredible therapist too. And I, and I'm just so excited to hear how you kind of wove it together. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to share your story. Oh, thank you. So the first question, um, I like to ask, and I kind of know the answer, um, is, you know, have you found your calling and what is it?
1: I have found my calling. I, um, you know, it's performance basically, you know, I got sober in a performance program in San Francisco and through that Process like I've developed this one-woman show and a production company, and it was like I kind of battled that whole thing. The bobblehead is great for the video. (laughs) It's good. good. I nod. You can bobble. Yeah, I can bobble. So it's just that you know, it was like the two worlds integrated. It was like my clinical work and the ability to create a performance about my life and have that impact people in such a deep way was really like oh, I found I found a, a place to land on stage.
0: It's really cool. It's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's a pretty singular story. I mean, I haven't heard anybody else, but you know, there's people who like get sober and become doctors or, mm-hmm. or, or, or actors, right. Or, but yeah, I, yeah. or, or, you know, singers or, you know, there's all these amazing things people <gasps> unleash and, and, you know, uh-huh. find in their passion and, but the way you've been able to weave it together. So can you kind of tell us the story of what happened? You got, you know, we got sober and then kind of how did, yeah, how did we- it work? yeah i you know i was in a performance program in san
1: francisco and in that program there was a the the voice teacher was i don't know why i'm like the video's flipping me out <laughs> it's okay so the voice teacher was sober and then there was another gal in the program that was also sober and she you know i tracked her you know i grew up with alcoholism i understood alcoholism and addiction and i hadn't really seen anybody live a sober life and We were all performing our true, our life story. So I watched her, and I was struggling with managing my addiction, and I had a lot of knowledge about that, and I ended up you know, not being able to manage it, ironically, you know, who knew? And I, you know, went to my first meeting with her and I ended up staying sober, but through staying in that program and creating the show and having this intense outlet for myself, I was able to like stay sober, you know, and my friend Duane who ran the voice component of that program was like, do your art and you'll stay sober. And it was like, I, you know, did the show called Open Eyes. I started leading Artist Way and authentic movement groups And, you know, just loved it. It was like I finally found a place where I could really land and be really big and intense and um, open my heart up in that way and really impact people.
0: Cool. Well, so, but then there's also... And then what
1: happened with the therapy piece? Yeah,
0: like, well, wait, yeah. and you're a therapist. So how did... Yeah. So kind of what
1: happened was I was leading groups and, um, you know, I was still doing therapy. I was doing weekly coaching with people and I, that piece still was continuing to come up. And I felt like, you know, I really wanted to have a license because of the things that I was dealing with with people. So I ended up... I'm going to graduate school at Pacifica Graduate Institute in Santa Barbara because they had a very experiential component, and you the whole thing with them is their concept is that we're all wounded healers, and the fact if you do your own work, then you can become facilitate other people in that process, if, but you have to kind of heal your own wounding prior to just launching in. So I did that. I was still working on another show, which is the show that I have now, Flying Standby, and I kind of kept the world separate for a long time. I had the show and I had my private practice and I was working in treatment centers and I was doing experiential work with people, but I really wasn't like launching the two together. And um, three years ago, I decided to put the show in the Hollywood Fringe Festival. And once I did that, and then I and I started kind of letting the colleagues from the addiction treatment world filter in. And at first I was like, I don't know if I should let these worlds collide and then I decided to produce it myself and start the production company and I solely market it to this industry, to clients and treatment, people in recovery, the people that work kind of in the treatment industry. And I thought, God, am I making the biggest mistake of my life or is this the best thing I ever did? Because it was like, you know, I was, it's scary because like if I'm a clinician and then now I'm exposing all of my own stuff that's resolved, I'm still exposing my, my, um... My stuff, basically, you know, and, um, that process, you know, it finally hit me that when I looked up, I was like, oh, this is the way that I can still impact people. Um, and because the story has resolution, um, you know, I think of it as like redemptive storytelling. There's such a powerful process that can happen for people. So I've committed to, you know, combining the two and really launching that as a full-time thing. It's brilliant. And it's working. And it's working. And it's working. It's really so
0: working. And then, so here's the part where someone watching who's like, well, I kind of like this or I kind of like that or I'm, you know, it looks like when you land where you are, you're like, oh, well, that was easy. But how'd that happen? So can you talk about what it was like to like, what made you decide? So you get sober and you're performing, but then you're like, okay, I heard you want to start working therapeutically. So I need to get some training. But did you have voices? Was there like, what was the process of like, getting, you know, getting your training and getting your licensure and doing everything you need to do to be a therapist. And then, and then was there a point where it kind of sounds like where you were like, something's missing and you wanted to bring Uh, that in? I think what happened was, you know, when I was in graduate school, I was still performing. And then the more I got
1: involved in working in the treatment industry, I was kind of losing sight of my own creativity. And so I really missed that piece because I really believe that's like my authentic, um, true passion what I'm supposed to be doing and the clinical piece because I'm good at that I was like well I don't want to let that go so there was this real battle of like how to integrate those two and so when I made a commitment to launch the show and start the production company it was like as it, scary as it was it made sense where all those pieces integrated finally that they didn't have to be separate worlds I didn't have to keep the therapy over here and the show over here and kind of intermingle them but not launch them together because it really does combine both pieces. You know, the, sh- the show lets me have my creative outlet is also healing to other people. And then the retreats and the workshops I do called Telling the Truth on Stage, I'm really able to integrate like my clinical work with the creativity and be on my feet with people and have them embody the people that they're, you know, embody their mother, embody their father and actually get on their feet and get it out of their body Because there's something different that happened for me when I actually played my mother versus, you know, I believe in therapy, obviously, but there was something different in creating a story where I actually stood in her shoes. Like, I grew to understand her in such a different way versus talking about, like, I could say she's an alcoholic and she had love and gambling and food addiction and she was narcissistic and blah, blah, blah. And yet that didn't integrate the material for me because I still really loved this woman. And, um, so through that storytelling, there's a place where I really was able to connect and heal that relationship with her.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Cause there is, um, because it is, there is trauma in your story and, and you tell it, I think one of the things that's So, and I hadn't really thought of it until you've just described it is that there is such, um, there's such a, a kindness in the way that you portray your mom, you know, like kindness isn't even the right word. There's just love, the compassion, like it, it comes through and, and it's just, that's really an interesting, um, to hear how that got influenced that way. That's very cool. Yeah, because
1: when I was in the performance program and I created the other show, Open Eyes, I was so afraid of creating a story about my mom. Um, I didn't want to not tell the truth, and I also didn't want to make her look bad. Do you know what I mean? Because I didn't view it as a negative thing. Like, you know, other people are like, oh, that's neglect, or leaving you home as a child is neglect. You know, and I got that intellectually. But at the same time... um, I have deep love and compassion for her. And I think she spent a lifetime of sharing her story with me and wasn't able to tell that story herself because of her own trauma. Mm -hmm. So she went around trying to tell the story to people who weren't able to hear it, or she wasn't able to, she was so reactive in her way that she shared it. She seemed crazy. So then no one believed her when she did share the truth. So the desire was to be able to tell her story and integrate my story in that too, and to have that be seen and heard, you know?
0: Yeah. It's beautifully done. Beautifully done. Um, so how is it, how is it? You said, you said they were kind of separate for a little while. Did you, because I think that there's some people who do have like a passion for this and, and kind of their job or this or two passions. It's I not know. like their J O B it's their like passionate about this and passionate about this and never the, never the, never the tween shall meet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, and you said it was kind of scary, but what would you say to somebody who had two really seemingly disparate Passions, or I
1: don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I think that if you really truly um, commit to both things, there's a way, say, you have two separate things that you love, or you have one thing that you keep on the side that you love that's your secret baby that you really want to launch, but you have the safety of what other thing you're doing over here. I think if you fully commit a thousand percent to the thing you love, you can make money and make that your career. Like, they can truly integrate. And I think people think that the thing they love sometimes, especially if it's art or creativity, that it has to be a sidekick project, that you couldn't possibly take that on as a full-time gig because, you know, people have a storyline. Artists don't make money, and da 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 and, and I think that that's just not true. Like, I think that there ha- there's such um, a fear and self-sabotage in that. I mean, I had a lot of stuff around that. I mean, being a therapist... um you know, you're in the caretaker role and being an artist, I had a storyline was that I was being narcissistic and not taking care of people. So I had to integrate that belief system mm-hmm. and look at what was being produced and the reaction that people were having and let that land and really believe that it was impacting people mm-hmm. instead of trying to do this over here, instead of doing the larger thing I wanted to do, because actually I think here, here's the thing. I think that if people follow the thing that they're hundred percent passionate about, that that has the bigger impact in the world. Like I think each person has an individual gift that they're supposed to be giving to the world, and that could be painting rocks, it could be producing movies, it could be being a therapist or a coach. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what that looks like. If that's the thing you really love and you commit to it and go for it a thousand percent, not a little bit, and then keep twenty percent over here and 50, you know, that it really can launch. And it might not look the way I think that things start to come together. Like there's a synchronicity and there's a flow in the universe that ends up connecting the pieces for you if you let those pieces connect. And I was kind of pushing them back and fighting it and going, oh, no, I got this thing over here. I can't do this thing over here. Instead of just going, oh, there's these, all these openings mm-hmm. that I might be scared to take and I can't, I can't foresee the outcome of what that's going to look like. But there's actually, I just keep following that path. Even when there's uncertainty and fear, because that still comes up, even though I love it and I adore it each time before a show, I get scared and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, there's always an internal questioning that, um, it's almost like you just have to go, okay, here, yeah, I got that. And then still keep moving forward instead of letting that part kind of run the show.
0: It's a lot of people talk about that. Like if you feel the fear, like Mm -hmm. there's going to be fear. And if it's something really good, there's definitely going to be fear. So it almost feels like some of these conversations, and I have to remember it too, because there have been times when I've been like, oh, to do this, uh, like to launch the podcast. I don't know if it's it's like, oh, I'm feeling fear. Remember I was talking to, you know, Ellie, and she said, if there's fear, big stuff, like step into it. Yeah. So it's, maybe we're just going to change the conversation about what fear means. Like maybe fear is a good indicator, not something we need to run away from. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that the, you know, yeah, I mean, I think that's hundred percent true. Cause I think that, that when you do the thing you love the most, it's like the thing you're protective over the most and most afraid to do, but it can also provide the most happiness. So it's kind of like there's, you're going to hold both pieces and how can you hold the tension of both of those and still be able to experience the joy of that? It's almost like you have to walk through the fear of it to get to that joy.
0: Right, right, right. And maybe the joy is so big because you had to walk through some of that fear, right?
1: Yeah, and it's scary. And there, it's it's like, you know, I've always loved the quote, like, leap and the net will appear, like, and having faith in that. And, you know, I think growing up with trauma and you know, growing up in a world where I needed to feel like I needed to be in control to create things. And I think art has such a beautiful way of having such an organic way of producing something. And there's such a a beauty in that. Like, you know, I've learned faith and surrender from performance more than I've learned from anything else, because there's a beauty when you step on a stage, you really do have to land and embody those characters. And there's a freedom in that and such a liberation.
0: Cool. What would you, um, what would you say to someone who was feeling like, ah, maybe they have a secret dream or maybe they don't, maybe they're really questioning, like, I don't know what my calling is and they're, and they're in recovery, right? So they've got this life back Yeah. and, and now they're like, now what? I mean, I think
1: it's just exploring, like exploring those little things that you love. I mean, and, um, you know, I think it's exploration and I think it's being honest with yourself about, about what you really want. I think we can talk ourselves into, and I think it, it is a, a, not a trap, but an easy thing to fall into when people get sober. They're like, oh, I'm going to go into the drug and alcohol, like, gonna, I'm going to treat addiction now because now I get it. And it doesn't always have to look the same way everybody else is treating addiction. Doesn't everybody doesn't become a KDAC or a therapist or, co- I mean, it could look that way and that could be perfect, but it could, I think that people, I think most people have addiction. I think of addiction as like a creative, um, kind of misdirection. I think of addiction as like a possession that's misdirected. So there's, there's some piece that needs to create something and that we're all creative beings and that can look a Creativity has a much broader definition than a painter. I think for many years, I didn't think that I was creative because I'm not a painter. Like I made up, I needed to be a painter or draw to be an artist. And if I didn't fit into that category, then I wasn't an artist. I had such a narrow view of what art was right. for myself.
0: Right. Other people, I thought, could just
1: go do whatever they wanted.
0: Yeah, I always thought if I, I always thought, oh, I'm not creative. I was like, oh, I'm no, I'm I'm the business major. I'm not the creative yeah, one. Yeah. You know. But um, then I found out. I was,
1: <laughs> Yeah, they really are, you know, I got a lot out of, I used to lead people through the artist way. And I think that, you know, I think it's, I think the morning pages of doing those three, you know, longhand pages of handwritten pages really can start a dialogue with what is your inner calling. Like it's, it's talking to you. There's inter, there's like little whispers that you get. And it's like, the more you listen to that, that voice becomes clearer.
0: You would, know, you, if, would you have questions that if somebody were like, okay, and they don't, they're not really, don't know the whole artist's way and they maybe don't want to get, to yeah, this, yeah. but just like, okay, I, okay. So I'm going to do a week of morning pages. What's what are some questions I should ask?
1: Yeah, it's not really question. I mean, I think it's just see what comes out. I mean, the idea is that you're doing a stream of consciousness. So it might initially be the grocery list and your to-do list and fears, but eventually there's going to be other things that filter to the surface. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just developing, following those inner nudges, like, oh, I want to go to that art opening, or this book looks interesting, or I should talk to that person, and then letting those things that are like synchronicity link up and lead the way.
0: I like it. That's good. That well, yeah, it totally makes sense. And I, and I see like my logical brain being like, what are the questions we should be asking? It's like, just let yeah, stuff I mean, come
1: think, up. Me, you know, it's, that's what was interesting. For many, many years, I was a writer. I journaled, and I have a dresser full of journals and I read memoir. I loved people's memoirs and I loved writers and, but I never once considered being a writer because I was like, Oh, I journal. That's what I do. That's not a writer. And when I, you know, took this writing class that had a performance piece and there was a performance prank program, everything in my being was like, you have to go do that. My brain was like, it made no sense. I had never performed, um, No one in my life thought it was a good idea. Everyone's like, what are you doing? And I knew every part of my being was like, you have to go do that. And I remember I went away for a weekend. Um, I lived in Portland at the time, and a friend of mine had a beach house, and I went away to do, you know, to figure out what – well, actually, no, that isn't what happened. That was for the graduate program. But both times, both before my graduate program and this performance program, I went away both times and really contemplated – like what I was doing and what the, what the nudge was for it. And the thought of not doing it, it was like, I knew I had to do it, even though there were all these obstacles that didn't make sense. Like I was joining a performance program with people that have performed since they were kids. And basically I was doing like an MMA, MFA program for my BA. So I thought, well, how does that make sense? Like I'm not qualified to do this and everything in me knew that I was supposed to do it, even though it didn't make sense. And I was terrified.
0: So great. I love that. Well, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because I didn't even think to ask like, oh, had you performed all your life? Like that's a big N-O, right? Yeah. that's a a, big. It's a big N. No, you, you no. had it, which that's, is pretty that's, extraordinary, that's, yeah. right? Because a lot of times you hear people are like, oh, I was performing since I was, and it's always what I wanted to do. And No. As a kid, my brother was an actor, and
1: I loved that he acted. And I would make up these skits with my friend. And because I was overexposed to trauma, I would make up these like horrific soap opera stories of like so and so was murdered, and then they had an affair, and then they died. And and I loved it, but I never thought of that as like, oh, I'm creating stories. Like, I know what you know. I wasn't in an environment because everything was so chaotic where someone was really fostering that. So it's like, I mean, I think that. I think that people will say that it's too late to do whatever they want to do. Oh, I need to have done that forever, or I should have had training, or I'm too old to start doing this. And I think I was 28 when I started that performance program. So, I mean, you know, I think that, yeah, and I just committed to it.
0: And isn't it funny that, like, hearing 28, like, so I'm... Forty-seven now, so I hear yeah. twenty-eight, and I'm like, oh, "That's so young." But yeah. when I was twenty-eight, I thought, "Well, if I if I haven't mastered it already, forget it."
1: Yeah, it seemed old to be doing it. Like, a you know, in my head, I felt like um, I'd had a web and graphic design business, and it didn't it didn't fit in anything I'd ever talked about doing. So it's like, where did that come from? But everything in me, I had spent many years being like a shadow artist. Like I was. Dating or friends with other people that were artists and helping support them produce their work. And I didn't get that actually what I wanted was to do that thing myself.
0: Wow. You know, how do you, I, how, Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just wondering, so to relate it to your recovery, like <laughs> it seems like this really cracked open after getting into recovery, right?
1: It did. I was sober. I got sober in the middle of that performance program and I, you know, did the first show sober And the work was better when I was sober. Like, it was, and I think a lot of people have some theory that creativity happens through consumption, you know, and once they're sober, people are afraid they've lost that voice and they don't know how to find that. And I think that you're actually more connected, um, sober, than through any other substance. I mean, I think you're seeking. I mean, I think I sought creativity and connection and spirituality through using substances and didn't find it but that was what the seeking was.
0: Do you think it was like a seeking your calling, connection or what do you think that was?
1: Yeah, I think it was just
0: so misdirected. Like I think that if I mean I think that
1: I think for long-term sobriety there has to be some sort of it doesn't have to be, but I think to to really Yeah, that's a pretty bold statement, but I think if people can find that thing they're passionate about and follow it, it might evolve and ebb and flow and look like a lot of different things, but then they're really in the flow of who they're supposed to be, you know, rather than I'm going to go do this and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, it might, you know, it's like, You know, it's funny. I had a similar thing happen in the, you know, once I was licensed and doing the show, I was like, oh, I can't give up my clinical piece because I spent a hundred thousand dollars on grad school and, you know, my my education. And if I let that go and just perform, then I'm throwing that away. But they actually linked up. And a lot of that was in my head that they didn't actually serve one another,
0: you know? Yeah. You you were telling me um, about the connection you made that you were always the caretaker and... Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? So, I mean, I think I grew up, you know,
1: playing my mom's, you know, husband, caretaker, therapist. And so I knew how to do that without even thinking. That's like a natural thing. And so when I became a therapist, I mean, I think that there was a lot of, you know, I know how to do that with my eyes closed. And yet I have this other thing I really want to do. And that thing actually serves people in a much bigger way then this thing I have, I know how to do, I'll do whether I'm a therapist or not. Like that's just part of who I am as a person. So I think really being able to take on that it's okay for me to do that and give back in that way. And I can actually give back in a much bigger way and have a much larger impact rather than pulling back and being the caretaker and taking on other people as projects.
0: Cool. That's great. Well, and I love how you, you've you said it a couple different ways, but how, how, and even when I'm said if you're scared of something, if you're frightened, you know, if there's yeah. fear, do it. But I what I've really heard from you is that, yes, like there's yeah. a challenge and there's like, there can be fear. But that you took everything, you know, there were steps and you just like did the next step and then the, did the next step. You didn't know it was going to look like this. You didn't know you were going to be doing retreats in Hawaii and having, you yeah. know, the show that people are talking about all over town. You know, you, it just... Was the next thing and then the next thing. And I think that's so important because I think especially as people in recovery, you know, zero to 60 or if, you know, I'm supposed to be over there. I need I, – if I see it over there but I don't know how I'm going to get there, I can't do it and I can't start when in fact see it and well, then just start, right?
1: I think you just commit – like I wanted to put the show up and I was doing bits and pieces and I saw the Hollywood French Festival and I thought I'm going to put the show in the French Festival – And see what happens. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to stop doing this. So I'm going to create a production company and rent a theater. And then I've just added... The thing has just naturally grown to a much larger thing. And it didn't make sense. You know, I was like, people are like, oh, you're going to saturate the market. and You can't keep doing the show. And there was a lot of like, well, why are you going to keep running the same show? A lot of like... Um, not resistance, but people questioning how that was going to work. And every, and I just followed that inner knowing that this was the thing I was supposed to keep doing, even if I didn't know what it was going to look like.
0: That's so important for people to hear, because I think that that can be, you know, because there's part of me that wants to say, well, how did you know? And how did you, and sometimes we don't know, but if we hear that other people did it and we have the moment where we're like, I don't know. And then they remember, wait, I remember listening to that woman, Tanya talk and she just did it. So it's almost like, You give permission for people to just do it.
1: And I think, you know, when I get scared, I'll watch like the actor's studio. um, And I'll listen to actors who are successful talking about their story. There's always a tidbit in there. I'm like, oh, they were scared. They were getting ready to do a broad, you know, Hugh Jackman was talking about, you know, he was doing, I don't remember what Broadway production and he was telling his wife it was too much. He couldn't do it. He was, he wasn't qualified. Like it wasn't going to work. And, you know, just that, that, fact that the, the the fact that we all have fear and self-doubt and that you bulldoze through that and, and, and kind of surrender, like each time I do a show, like I don't have control over the outcome of that show. Like I can show up, produce it, sell tickets, get people there. I do an art reception to support other artists as an opening part of the show, but I don't really know what that's going to look like. You know, and there is a beauty in that and it's terrifying, but there's something it's, I think the more, I think to be honest, the more I did the show, I was like, I love this so much that I I have to, for my soul's calling to continue doing this, you know? And if that works great, you know, and there's a way that it's going to work because that's the thing I'm supposed to be doing. And just trusting that, you know? And the next right step, the next. And then taking lots of action. I'm very like action goal driven anyway. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's like I commit to it by booking a theater or committing financially to something and having a lockdown
0: date. Killer. That's smart. Okay. So we're kind of towards the end and I'd I'd love to ask you if I'd love, I'd love to ask you. (laughs) So here's the question. Okay. Um, Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want people to know or just, you know, that you're thinking of that you want to add to the conversation? Trying to think. Um, I think that it's like
1: the piece, I guess I'd like to talk a little bit about the piece that I do with other people in the workshop I have called Telling the Truth on Stage. And it's been a really beautiful process to figure out. I feel like that really has been integration of doing the show and then doing these retreats and workshops it has been a way for me to still feel like I'm working with people and moving things in people's psyches and creating art at the same time. And I think it's just, I'm so excited that that piece came together in that sense. and that was like an evolution too. Like I was doing these uh, workshops called the Razabach Technique and And I was like, no, this isn't exactly right. And I just kept playing with it, you know, and it evolved into the thing that it's supposed to be.
0: That's really cool. Tanya, you are amazing. I'm so, I really am honored to call you a friend and I am so honestly inspired Mm -hmm. by the way you just keep stepping into like the next bigger thing, the next bigger thing, the scary thing. It's, it, it, as I said, it's, it's. There's a generosity of the permission that you're giving and the courage you're showing. And it just is like, ooh, if she's doing that, what could I do? Yeah. It's beautiful you sharing that with the world. Thank you for sharing what you do with the world. And thank you for sharing it with me in this conversation. Yeah. Thank you. I'm
1: honored to know you. You also have a super bright light and show up and have a huge impact on people. And it's been nice to see your piece evolve into a much bigger thing. Cool, it's cool. beautiful,
0: you know? Oh, Thanks, honey. Yeah. I didn't know you were going to say that. That's nice. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, um, until I see you on the stage again, we'll okay. say goodbye for now. Thank you. Okay, bye. For more information about Tanya and what she's up to, check out her websites, tanyameeks.com, T-O-N-Y-A-M-E-E-K-S.com, or flyingstandbyhome.com. To get in touch with me, check out my website at yourrecoveredlife.com. And if you have a true story to share, I'd love to hear from you. Send a note to Courtney at yourrecoveredlife.com. And thanks for listening.